Aren't you glad that you know a God who is more than amazing? Jesus, we magnify your name today. We thank you, Lord, that you are more than amazing. You are the God of the universe. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no God like you, no God beside you. I'm going to dismiss the children ministry at this time and going to go to the word of the Lord. I have, uh, as you're aware, if you've been here uh, any of the last few weeks, been doing a series on pandemic Christianity is what I entitled it and using various pieces of what has taken place in this past year uh, to talk about God's goodness and God's provision today is what we're going to talk about and uh, this song I, I was not we practiced the song I know the song I wasn't really paying attention to the song we were doing something different and then uh, Jared and Arissa who I'm so glad they're with us today want to give them a hand and he told me he changed the song we were going to do and I don't know if he saw my sermon titled out there or not but as we're singing it even though we had practiced it, I wasn't really tuning into the words. Anybody ever done that? You're singing a song and you're singing it to the Lord, but you're not really paying attention to the words. And in the middle of that, he's like, it's more than enough, which is what I'm preaching about today. We serve a God who is not only more than amazing, but he is more than enough. Anybody found him to be more than enough? Why don't you give him one more hand clap of praise before I read my text today? God is great. I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. So 10 verses here. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Verse 13, a very well-known verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves uh, you also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church with me shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God, and this is where I'm going, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And so I'm going to preach just for a little bit on more than enough. When the pandemic started, we had shortages of things. Most prominently, we had shortages of toilet paper. And, and I don't know what, why people thought we needed toilet paper during the pandemic. Uh, based on the type of 
virus that it was. I'm not sure why they needed toilet paper, but people decided they needed toilet paper. And if you went to the store to find some, you couldn't find any. My mom, I, just, I don't know if they're watching, they live in Branson, so she or my dad may be watching, and I may get in trouble for this, but she likes only certain kinds of toilet paper, and so I would order toilet paper from Sam's and have it shipped to her house, and they ran out, and it was just like, just messed up her world, no pun intended. And, sorry about that, I shouldn't have said that. And, but with shortages... I, I don't know about you, but that always irritates me when you're trying to find something and you can't find it. You go to the store, and especially with those, man, they make a big deal and a big sale, and it's while supplies last, and they last about 30 minutes, and then you can't find any. You can't find what you're, you're looking for. Or you go and you, you order a number of items, and you maybe order five or six of the same item, and you get the package, and you're short. You don't have what you need. But the reality is, is that with God, none of us are ever shorted. We never have any shortages when it comes to God. Now, I was raised in Louisiana, and I'm going to be honest with you, I never heard this phrase uh, when I was there. At least it never stood with me. There is a, a French Cajun kind of saying or word. It's called a lanyap. Now, it's, it's actually spelled L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E, but it's pronounced lanyap. And I was working with another guy from Louisiana, and he was a little more Cajun than, than I was, and he would use that phrase, and, and what that word means is a little something extra. That when you go to a, a business or you go somewhere in the South, they might throw in a little something extra, and it's called lanyap. You just get a little bit more than you even asked for or that you were purchasing. On Sunday morning, I go and buy donuts for the church as part of my routine and the things that I do, and so I'm picking up donuts and there's, a, there's an older lady that works there. She's the only one who does this. But she knows that we're a church. She knows I'm a pastor. And I'll order a dozen donuts, and then I'll order a dozen donut holes. And always we have more than I'm asking for. She said, like, oh, yeah, I threw this one in. It had a little piece broken off, and I threw that. So she's filling in broken pieces, she's, whatever. She's giving me extra. And I'll say, I need a dozen donut holes, and, and she'll... She'll reach back there, and she'll start grabbing, and I'm watching her, and she's grabbing five or six at a time, and she'll put six handfuls in this bag. She's always throwing in extra things. That's the way I preferred instead of running out and while supplies last being shorted. But with Jesus Christ, we never get shorted. We're never out. We never run out of anything. He is a God who is more than enough. He is a God that always does exceeding abundantly above whatever we ask or think. He is a God of surplus. The book of Philippians, I actually preached from Philippians a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to change mics here. I think I'm maybe not. There's the mic. I'm going to change mics. Uh, I preached from Philippians a couple of weeks ago and. This is actually the next subsequent passage from where I preached two weeks ago. And, and my intention was not to, to preach uh, through Philippians, but as I was looking at what I wanted to talk about today, this was just the best passage. And to give you a little context of Philippians, the church in Philippi is there next to a Roman fortress. There's a lot of soldiers there, and so Paul uses a, a lot of 
uh, military type language. He uses a lot of different imagery that you see throughout there. And, but he starts off the, the book with talking about this partnership in the gospel. And we're going to talk about partnership and what that means here in just a little bit. But of course, he also has this theme of joy that is throughout the book of Philippians. Joy and rejoicing over and over throughout the book. Count it all joy. And I'm rejoicing in this. And I'm rejoicing in this. And I'm rejoicing that you've done this for me. And so he uses that theme over and over. And the text that I read is getting right near the end of the book. And in that, he talks about his needs being supplied, and not just his needs, but the fact that God is going to supply the needs of all of his people. And so I want to bring out a few things from this text that we looked at. And the first is this, is that we are to have and act on our concern for others. It's not enough just to be concerned about others. It's one of those things that, you, you know, if you ever had somebody, they were going to give you a gift, and then they didn't give it to you. It's like, well, it's the thought that counts. No, no, it's really not. I thought about bringing you a Big Mac, but I, I didn't. I'm not any better off. Well, actually, I probably am better off not eating a Big Mac, but that's beside the point. But if I don't have it, it's not really the thought that counts. And so we can sometimes be concerned for others and never do anything about it. And that's not what we sh- we're supposed to do as Christians. That's not what Paul tells us. He says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. When he uses this opportunity, he says, you were concerned, but you didn't have the means or the ability or the opportunity to help me and take care of my needs. He says, but now you've revived it again. You've sent me what I need. And so we are to act on our concern for others. It's not just enough to be concerned. We have to act on it. When we were, Crystal and I were, were first married, we got married, and nine days later, we went off to Bible college. Now, she had been there a year before uh, we got married. We got married, and I went as a freshman. I was 23. I'd been working at the post office. I quit my job, and so nine days later, we moved to St. Louis and started Bible college, and, I, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our, our state of uh, financial well-being at that point, and maybe in this next point, but there were time after time when we would show up at church, and people would come up and just slip us money. We didn't have money. We were below the poverty line. I'll talk about that. And they would just slip us money, or they would be, one, one particular Sunday, we're driving to church Sunday morning. And we had about a 25-minute drive to get to the church we were attending, and, and we were lamenting that we were going to end go back home after church and eat sandwiches. Now, I love sandwiches, but they get old after a while. And we're like, man, we don't want to go home and eat sandwiches. And would you believe somebody comes up after church and says, hey, we want to take you out to eat today. And time after time, people like Neil and LaDonna Sharp would take us out to eat, not allowing us to pay for anything even if we could, or, or Skip and Connie Pratt say, hey, we want you to come to Pasta House with us. That was his favorite place, man. 
And they would just take us out over and over. They had concern. They knew that we were poor Bible college students, didn't have any money, and so they were wanting to be a blessing. So you have to act on your concern for others. It's not enough just to say, man, I wish, them, I wish they were doing better. Well, I feel sorry for them. You have to act on it. And furthermore, what I would tell you is that we need to seek opportunity to share that concern for others. It is all around us, and I'm not going to re-preach loving your neighbor, which I did a few weeks ago, but we need to seek opportunity. And what Paul says here, he says, I'm rejoicing that you're doing this, and when I tell you that when actionable concern leads to rejoicing, because when you're doing something for people and when you're helping them out, guess what? If they already know God, they're going to be rejoicing that he's providing. And if they don't, they're going to want to know the God that you are serving and the God that you are doing this on his behalf. So we are to have and act on our concern for others. Secondly, though, we are to be content in all circumstances. Paul writes it this way, not that I speak from want or speak from lack. I'm not wanting anything, for I have learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I am, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he sums that part up. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That when we are walking with Jesus Christ, whether we're, we're hungry or whether we're full, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. We can survive in any and every circumstance or situation. I would tell you contentment is a learning process. He says, I have learned to be content. Anybody found yourself in a situation where you weren't very content? Frustrated, irritated, not happy. Sometimes it's, it can be about any number of things, but many times it's about financial resources and you don't have what you need and you're upset about it. Well, we, when we, Crystal and I went to Gateway, I, said, I was working at the postal, uh, post office in Lee Summit. We moved to, to St. Louis and I went from a full-time job with the post office to a part-time $5.50 an hour job at Office Depot on Rock Road there in Bridgeton, Missouri. Crystal was working part-time as well. We were going to school full-time. And our, our grand total of combined income, now this is 1995, our grand total income was $800 a month. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't very good. It was well below the poverty line. But we were newly married, and what, what did they say? You just live on love? We lived on love and Aldi's. <laughs> and, and when we were really splurging, we would go to, now you, there's no White Castle here in, in Kansas City, and I'm not really a fan of White Castle, but they had frozen White Castle at Aldi in St. Louis. And, man, we were splurged. We'd get us some frozen White Castles, nuke those bad boys, and then they would just about kill us. If you've never had White Castle, if you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. 
well, we didn't have any money, but we were happy because we were doing what God wanted us to do, and it, and it didn't really matter that we didn't have any money. We were content in our poverty. After Actually, before I graduated, I started working for the college and then ended up being there for 14 years and then uh, finally left the college. It took me 17 years to graduate, you know, and uh, no, just kidding. But I finally left the college, and then I was making really good money. And the same principles of finance that we use when we were in poverty level, we use when I was making really good money. That, that same, in fact, we did the opposite of what many people would do. When, when, while we were in poverty, we were giving our 10% tithes, and then we were giving as often as possible, another 5% just in offerings. And then when I, I, we, I started making a lot of money, many people, they would be like, man, 10% of a $1,000, I can do that. 10% of 10000 man, that's a lot of money. I don't know if we want to do that. But instead of cutting back on what we were given, we actually increased the percentage of what we were giving. And, and, I, and I watched people that were making the money that I was making, spending their money on all kinds of things that we didn't spend it on because we were giving to the kingdom. But you know what? I was content. And we were content when we were in poverty. And we were content when we were not in poverty. We were doing what God wants us to do. And, and Paul said, I have learned that in whatever state I'm in, to be content. Amen. That when I'm hungry... I'm content, and when I'm full, I'm content. And then he sums that up, as I said earlier, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is through his power, and we recognize that he is the source of everything that we have. It doesn't really matter whether we have a lot or a little, it's all his. And so our job is to be content and to use it for his glory and for his purpose. We serve a God who is more than enough. Thirdly, we are to partner in the gospel. We are to partner with others in the spreading of the gospel. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians said, at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. You're the only, he says, you are the only one who did this. No other church helped me. No other church sent an offering. You alone took care of me. He says, for even in Thessalonica, when I was there in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once to meet my needs. I'm actually going to preach about this a little bit next week, but there is a word for partnership. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's not in my notes here, but he says, you partnered with me, you give to me. Or and sometimes it's translated, you have this fellowship with me, but it's really better almost as a partnership. He said, you were taking care of my needs while I'm out preaching the gospel. That You took care of what I needed. And he says, you were the only one who, who did that. So he said, when others are in need, we are to use our managed resources to partner with them. God blesses us in order to be a blessing. He doesn't bless us so we have a lot of money. 
He doesn't bless us just so we have a big portfolio. He doesn't bless us so we can retire as multimillionaires, but he blesses us so that we can bless others. It's what it's all about. And, and it's not a one and done kind of deal. He says to the Philippians, you did this more than once. I was in need and you sent money more than once. You didn't just do it one time and go, hey, man, you're on your own after this. That is, partnership is not a one and done kind of idea. When we started Cross Church, the process that, that we use, and, and we are fully funded, and, and I think I mentioned this, no tithe or offering money goes to us at all. All of that goes just to the operation of the church, and, and there will come a day when that will end. But we have partners all over the country who send monthly amounts to our headquarters, that money is summed up and then it's sent to us, to the church here on a monthly basis. But with all of the people that do that, the 250 plus that are faithfully doing that, there are a lot of those who don't just go, hey, we're giving monthly, just, just you're good, you don't need anything else. In fact, one of our partners we just took them off the list, Daryl and Carol Johns, Atlanta West Pentecostal Church in Lithia Springs, Georgia, just out on the west side of Atlanta. They partner every month, their church does. But when we were getting ready to launch and we were raising money for equipment, they sent a large chunk of money to help pay for that equipment. They could have said, hey, we're sending money every month, just use what we've already done. But their mindset was that it's not a one and done. We're in this together. So they sent a large check to help purchase equipment. And just in October, as you know, they sent another large gift and purchased this baptistry that we're getting ready to use at the end of service today. They didn't say, do it yourself. They didn't say, find somebody else. They didn't say, we're doing it monthly and we help pay for some of your equipment just but our partnership, when you're really in partnership, it's not a one and done. It's how much need is there? Is there still a need that I can help with? Do I still have resources that God has blessed me with that I can help somebody else in their need? And the answer is we should always do that. Every time that we have an opportunity to host a missionary, we take them. Not because we have a surplus of money in our missions account. But because they need somebody to partner with them to help take the gospel to somebody that we'll never reach. People that we'll never see. So when they come through, we're going to bring them in and let them preach, let them share their vision. And we're going to take them on as a partner. And we'll let God provide the money if we don't have it already. Because it's not about us, it's about partnering in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, we are more blessed, the Bible says, to give than to receive. Paul said it this way in our text, not that I seek the gift itself. I'm not looking for the gift. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And what he's saying is, 
I, I don't just want your money. But you are going to profit when you give away your money. When you give it to those in need and when you give to spread the gospel, you're, you're going to profit. He says, I, I'm seeking for the profit that will increase to your account. He said, I received everything in full and I have an abundance. I'm amply supplied having received. He said, Epaphroditus already brought the stuff to me. And he says, when he did, it was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He said, I don't need your money. He says, I don't even want your money, but I want you to be blessed. Paul would say in Acts chapter 20, he, he quoted Jesus Except we don't have record of Jesus saying this, but, but as I've said before, and maybe you, you, you know this already as well, but we don't have everything that Jesus said in the Scripture. We don't have every miracle. What did it say at the end of John? He said, if everything that Jesus had done was recorded, he said, even the world couldn't contain all the books it would take to record it all. So we don't have it all. We don't know it all, but, but Paul said in Acts 20, he says, even as our Lord also said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's in essence what he's saying here again. He said, I'm not looking to get your money. He said, I'm looking for you to be blessed. And when you give, there's going to be profit that is going to increase to your account. Ultimately, what he's saying is that when God when we give in his name, God receives our gift. That if I walk over to say, John, the Lord wanted me to give you this, or John's not just receiving that, but God is receiving my gift. Or even if God doesn't speak to me, I just know that John has a need, and I walk over and I give him money. He said it comes as a fragrant aroma. It's a sweet-smelling incense to God when we do that God is the one receiving that offering or that gift that we're giving to others. When I was at the Bible College as vice president, part of my responsibility was to, to raise money. And basically, if I didn't raise money, we closed, the doors were going to close was kind of the deal. So it really wasn't my job description, but I wanted to have a job, and so I raised money. And... and I don't know if you've ever raised money or you're at, you know, if you're in sales or those kinds of things. It takes a certain kind of person to be in sales, but it takes even a whole different ball game just to ask people to give money. So we're at Bible college. We needed money all the time. It's it just the way it was. And as I was starting that process of raising money, the words in Acts 20 that Paul said really belonged to Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It was that concept that allowed me to call people who were already partnering with the college on a monthly basis and say, hey, we're trying to raise $100,000. Can you give $1,000 toward that? I, mean, I wasn't just putting a blanket statement. I mean, I'm calling them on the phone and talking. to them. These are people that know me, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. But then the words of Jesus would echo, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so I would be, they give $1,000, guess what? They're going to get a bigger blessing than I am. That God's going to bless them much more than that $1,000 that the college gives. 
We can keep the lights on and we can keep the doors open, but God is putting something in their account. As Paul said, it is going to be a profit that increases to your account. If you're new here today, by the way, it's your first time. I almost never preach on money. So I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking for you to give. Ultimately, where I'm going is this. And it's lastly that we are to anticipate God's provision. Paul ends this section of scripture with a well-known verse. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. That in a time of pandemic and in a time of shortage, we don't have to be hoarders. We don't have to stock up on everything because God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. I know somebody. They're going to watch this. They'll know who they are, but I'm not going to call their name so you won't know who they are. Y2K was coming. Anybody remember Y2K? The world was going to end. I don't know if I remember that. We're still here. And they were getting everything they could find. Every closet was full of food. Underneath the stairs were all of these five-gallon things of water, but not in plastic. They had to get the glass ones so they'd last longer. I know, it, it, and maybe, it was, maybe they're all gone now, but a year ago, there was still some water under the stairs from Y2K. But my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That whenever, whenever there's a shortage going on, we don't have to worry. We'll have everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but we will have everything that we need. God's supply is promised. He has promised that he will take care of our needs. God's supply is also unlimited. There, there is no shortage with him. He's going to do it according to his riches. His bank account is unlimited. Mine is not, but his bank account is unlimited. So he never will run out. That when we're doing things his way, he will take care of us. His supply is eternal. His supply is in Christ Jesus. That where we're walking with Jesus and we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he will take care of our needs. If we're not in relationship with him, probably on your own. But if you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, he will supply your need. Back to my, our Bible college days. Our car broke, needed some repairs. I don't know if it was fully on its last legs and it was still operating, but it needed some Repairs, and then all of a sudden it became a much more an acute problem, and we didn't have the money. I don't remember the exact amount, but it was probably more than we made in a month. And for a 1987 Honda Accord, I mean, that's a lot of repair. So we went to the mailbox, and in the mailbox is an un- expected check that would just cover the amount of the repairs that we needed 
And so we got the car fixed because God provided the money. And then we learned something. We would have random things come in. Just $1,000 here or whatever. We'd get this money would come in. And we started figuring it out that with that first story that God provided our need after we had the need. But we would get money that would come in and we're like, man, what are we going to do with this money? We could do a lot with this money. And as we held on to that money for three or four days, then our car would break. We'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what that money was for that God sent us. He started sending us the money in advance. So when we'd get all this, we'd get money coming in unexpectedly, we'd be like, something's getting ready to happen, but God doesn't want us to have to worry. So we would keep, keep the money until it happened, until the problem came up. But the reality is that God always supplies our need. When we do things His way and when we are in relationship with Him. As the worship team comes, recount it this way, that we are to have and act on concern for others. We are to be content in all circumstances. We are to partner in the gospel. We are more blessed to give than to receive. And then lastly, we are to anticipate God's provision. There is a phrase or two words that Paul uses in that last verse. He doesn't say, and God shall supply. He doesn't say, our God shall supply. But he says, and my God. Now, I'm not advocating that that Paul's God is any different than your God or my God. And I'm not advocating that we make God in our image and whatever we think God's like, then that's what he's like. But I I think it is instructive for us that he uses my God. And so what I would tell you today is this. He needs to be your God. You need to be able to say, he is my God. That you have to be in relationship with him if you want his blessings, you want his favor. Ultimately, if you want his salvation, he has to be my God. That it can't just be the God who's out there. It can't be just your God. But I have to make Him my God. It is about belonging to Him, and it's about being in a saving relationship with Him. So I would tell you today, if you are not in that relationship with Him, today is the day that you can make Him your God, and you can leave here saying, my God shall supply all of my needs. And I'm sure you know the gospel message that we were broken in sin, unable to get our way back to him. But God came in the form of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he went to the cross and died in my place and in yours. He paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. 
He was buried. But it didn't end there. It didn't end on the cross. It didn't end on the tomb. But he was resurrected the third day so that you and I could walk in newness of life. That you and I could be filled with his spirit and his presence and his power. Would you give him a hand clap just like you're doing right now? Jesus, thank you for your work of salvation. Thank you for the cross. He wants to be your God today. He wants you to leave saying, he's mine. One more story, or maybe two. Genesis 22 tells us about Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, the promised son. The one that took 25 years to get there, that at the age of 75, Abraham leaves Ur and he goes and walks and and God tells him, just go into a land I'll show you. Walk. You'll know when you get there and everywhere your feet trod, I'll I'll give it to you and to your descendants. And Abraham's like, I don't have any descendants, but he's like, you're going to have descendants. 25 years later, Isaac is born. The promise is fulfilled then some say as long as 21 years later, Isaac's not just a little boy. God speaks to Abraham and says, go and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham, he doesn't do what I would have done. I would have questioned God be like, is that you? I know I've heard you before, but somebody's impersonating you, God. You wouldn't really do that wouldn't tell me to do that. But Abraham, he, he doesn't question God. He takes Isaac and he takes the wood and he takes the fire. He journeys to Mount Moriah and he leaves his servants down there and he said, stay here. The lad and I are going up to worship. As they're going up the mountain, Isaac says, Dad, I see the wood, and and I see the fire. They don't have matches. They're taking fire with them. There's wood, and there's fire. He says, but where is the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? God will provide. They get to the place of sacrifice, and Isaac allows his dad to put him on the altar. And you know, you know the story. He He raises his hand. He's getting ready to plunge the knife. The angel of the Lord stays his hand. The Bible says, says, now that I know that you serve me and trust me fully, you don't have to do this. The Bible says that there had been a ram coming up the other side of the mountain that's caught in a thicket. and, And Abraham takes the ram out of the thicket and he offers that ram as a sacrifice in place of Isaac. This is why I'm telling the story. When he sees God's provision, he said it already coming up the mountain. He said, God will provide a sacrifice. He said it by faith, but now he really sees in actuality this provision. And he says this, he calls God, then he he names God with a unique name. He says, He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. 
there are no shortages with God. He is the God who will supply all of our needs. Would you stand together? And if you're thankful for what God has done in your life or you're you're thankful that you know him, you're thankful that he is a provider, that, that there is no shortages ever with him, if you're comfortable, would just lift your hands and would you thank him as they begin to sing right now? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you supply all of our needs according to your riches in glory.